Today's show is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Go to AdamandEve.com right now and you'll get 50% off just about any item. All you have to do is enter the code word GLORY, G-L-O-R-Y, at checkout. Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. Recording live from Glory Hole Studios in Chicago and beyond, this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode, we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome mat. And there is no Tom across from me right now. Tom has COVID. And Tom and his uh, couple members of his family have COVID, and uh, he has had a very rough week this week. Uh, And so this week, Tom is taking off. Tom decided to take off the week. Uh, I will have a guest uh, later on in the program. I'll be talking to Aaron Rabinowitz from Embrace the Void. We're going to be talking about uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories uh, a little later on. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some housekeeping stuff. So with Tom gone this week, we will not be releasing an extra this Thursday. Instead, we'll be releasing that extra next Thursday. Uh, We were planning on doing a deep dive where Tom reads the article. We won't be releasing that this upcoming week. Tom is in no shape to uh, read an article, nor is he in in any shape to even join me virtually tonight. So uh, we're going to give Tom a week off to rest. And this uh, new schedule that we have actually has built into it is a little bit of leeway. And the leeway happens to be our live stream. So we will be not again doing a live stream uh, later this month uh, because we have to move things back and we have to be able to shift things around. And the one thing that's going to get cut every time is going to be the live stream because uh, it's 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 one of the things that was lowest rated by a lot of people who were watching the show and who were enjoying the show and all the patrons who uh, took our survey. So that's the thing that's going to get cut this month. That leads me to another bit of housekeeping that I want to cover before we, I get on with the rest of the show. So, uh, it turns out that, uh, we were banned from YouTube for about a week. Now I want to talk about this very specifically on this episode, because this episode will not air on YouTube. And, uh, and I, and the only way to talk about this uh, is to talk about it now because if I talk about it, even the just talk about it and there's no video, this may get us completely banned from YouTube. So here's what happened. We, we think someone mass reported our videos. That then triggered a, uh, a content moderation bot on their part that literally just took our entire channel away. Uh, there was no strikes, no nothing. They just went in and took our channel away. After some, we were reached out to by several people who said they knew a guy who knew a guy and they might be able to help out. And then I also had a couple contacts who knew some people higher up at YouTube. Um, we, we sent out a big message 
on Twitter. And that wound up, I think, uh, all those things in conjunction wound up helping uh, us get reinstated. So they reinstated us. And then very quickly afterwards, they gave us a strike. And so first, I'm going to talk about the reinstatement. When I went back to look at them reinstating us, I did notice on one of the videos, I had posted two comments. Well, the two comments that I had posted uh, were both to the Manosphere. I had posted these comments that basically said, I know you guys are here trying to get Nick's attention, uh, but but Nick Fuentes isn't going to sleep with you as an incel, I think is what I said. Um, well, that wound up us getting, uh, both those comments, there was two comments, one where I said, I love that you guys show up and leave a bunch of comments because I just hide you from the page. And that's, I think that's all it said, but both those comments were missing. So my thought is, is that that video was the thing that sprung it and it was the comments that went back and forth. I left bad comments. I thought, I didn't think they were that bad. I didn't swear, I didn't attack anybody, but evidently it was enough for YouTube to ban our whole account. Later on in the day, we got a content strike. So we got a content strike a little later on an episode that before we even started doing video, and this was a while ago, we, we recorded a video or we recorded an episode during the pandemic. This was right as, uh, as vaccines were starting to change from being a like the, the COVID vaccine, which was the regular vaccine, to before they had specific variant vaccines. And Tom and I were having a conversation about at that point, people were starting to relax max mask mandates. And so now you have to understand in the context of this situation, Tom and I are both saying it's very sad because the vaccines that they have are not working as well with this current variant that is happening. And they are releasing mask mandates and now is not the time to take your foot off the gas. That's essentially the argument that we had. In YouTube's eyes, that is medical misinformation and they gave us a content strike. So I went back and I appealed it. I tried to appeal it. They rejected the appeal. They said, no, content, that is, we, we want to take your content down. So they removed an old episode of ours, an old 500 episode of ours is gone off YouTube. That gave Tom and I the impression that we, we really can't post anything else to YouTube except for live streams from this point on. The weekly show we don't feel has a place on YouTube because their content moderation is so weird, algorithmic, strict, yet loose in other ways that it's impossible to predict. So we can't just give them our, our content because they're going to ban our channel. And we don't want that to happen. We still want to be able to reach people on YouTube through live streams. We want to still be able to do these donation live streams where we raise money for people. And we don't want to lose that channel. And we are afraid that we are going to lose that channel if we keep posting our show week after week to YouTube because it just gives them an hour plus of material each week that they can dig through and find something wrong with to ban us. So in uh, right now, we have a content strike. We can't even post anything to YouTube for a whole week. Then I don't know if that ever goes away. But to be honest, Tom and I have talked about it. We are pretty sure our regular show and uh, our regular show will not go on YouTube anymore. We think that from now on, Twitch is going to be your place to watch the, the show's both while they're happening, because we we run them through a, a sort of premiere system. Essentially, we run them off a computer and they 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 stream 
And then those videos are available after the fact for a couple weeks. So you can catch those shows and then they eventually just get taken down. So I feel like we feel like that's probably going to be the place where we post our shows from now on. Another reason why we're doing this is I have a cooking channel called Season Liberally. First, I want to say to everybody who's listening, anybody who's listening, you don't have to like cooking. I would really appreciate it if you would go to our show notes this week, dissonancepod.com, and click on my YouTube link and just hit subscribe. You don't have to hit the bell, but it would really help me quite a bit if people subscribed, even if you don't like cooking, if you've never watched cooking. If you do like cooking and you never checked out my cooking show, I have a totally different vibe, a totally different thing. I do a solo cooking show that I think is a lot of fun and I really enjoy interacting with the group of people who have become followers of that show. So you can find it on YouTube, it's called Season Liberally. I will also be a link in this week's show notes. You can click on it. If you're interested in cooking, watch a couple of the videos. If you like it, hit the bell. But no matter what, if you show up, it's gonna help me if you subscribe because the more people that they see are subscribed to my channel, the more chance people have of watching a video if it comes across in their YouTube stream. Let me roll back for a second to tell you why I'm telling you this. It just turns out that when I created that YouTube channel, it was connected to my... Uh, specifically connected to cognitive dissonance. If cognitive dissonance gets banned, that channel may go away. When cognitive dissonance was taken off the air, I didn't have access to that channel. I couldn't go to it and upload videos. The channel still existed. They still had all my content on YouTube. So I had all my cooking videos there, but they didn't, that, I couldn't get in to add another one. I couldn't get in to talk to anybody every time I tried to log in to that particular account because it's it's an, it's an sort of a, a sub-account to the Cognitive Dissonance account. It wouldn't let me in. I might have fixed that problem, but it's not worth the risk of us losing CogDis for me to lose a whole other side project on the side. So our decision at this point is, no videos on YouTube. I know it's a long way of saying that. Uh, I've, talked, I've talked for 10 minutes at this point about this, but I, I'm, I'm just trying to explain that that's what we're doing now. We are going to put them on Twitch. Those videos will last for a couple of weeks. You can go catch them. There's a community that's going to watch them in the evenings when they play. So every time there's a release, they will play at 9 p.m. in the evening evening central every day there's a release so you can go watch with the community if you didn't catch the show or even if you caught caught the show and you want to hang out with the community while they watch it it's a fun community the people who hang out and watch these they they're they're a great group of people a lot of people have poured it over from youtube so go check them out and they're happening at the same time that the youtube live streams were happening most of the time like on thursdays and then they're also happening on mondays so you can go hang out and check these out twitch is uh, it's a different type of community, but it, you can still have that same sort of chat community while you're watching the show. We want to try to foster that, but my goodness, YouTube makes that way too hard for us. We talk about things that they cannot decide are not misinformation. I don't know if I said that correctly, but you know what I mean, right? They, they don't understand what is regular information and misinformation. Their bots can't figure it out. Their algorithms can't figure it out. And if somehow a person is running their eyes over it, they can't figure it out either. So we are just going to keep away from YouTube for a little while. At the very least, it's a little while. At the very most, it's going to be forever. Uh, but I wanted to let people know that that's where we're going to be from now on. 
Uh, and please go subscribe to my channel. It was also another roundabout way to get you to subscribe to Season Liberally. All right, so let's go to the interview. Oh, no, killer brought a Maury. Typical Monday sweaty killer. You know, that's right. You trade your passion for glory. What? Nothing. I was just thinking of this promo code. What's that? You guys hear of Adam and Eve? Don't you people mean Adam and Steve? It's for everyone, Cheeto face. Your mama doesn't seem to mind. Cut it out. Also, get on a gen. Who made you the leader? At least half the electorate, not some gerrymandered, archaic, patriarchal, anti-democratic electoral college bullshit. Snowflake says what? Man, shut the fuck Shit, up. I'm slugged. Anyway, if you go to adamandeve.com and use code GLORY, you get 50% off almost any one item. Whoa, how come I've never heard of that before? What? Yes, you have. I talk about it every other week. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. Someone back me up. Yeah, he's always talking some bullshit about how you get 10 free gifts. A gift for you, for your partner, for your mistress or mastress, if you swing that way, Jack. Oh, yeah, and 10 free spicy movies. It's a baby trapper. Plus, Plus free, free shipping. shipping. And rush processing. Speak up, pussy boy. Rushed processing, you old fuck. He's a pussy. Nothing wrong with pussy. I stay up in them guts. Fucking gross. Also, I don't know why you chose violence today, but cut it the fuck out. What's the promo code again? Code glory, G-L-O-R-Y, code glory. And the URL? AdamandEve.com. You think we are just going to do the ad for you? No, no, no. I'm just playing video games with friends. Your friends are imaginary. I, I know, but maybe I can get a friend when I use code GLORY. Unlikely. What? No way. Yikes, bro. Whatever. Shut up. Any bets on no ed? I know you're getting no head. And pussy, too. Omega level cringe. Okay, I'm done. Did he just DC? He sure did. Damn it. What was that code again? Code, code glory. glory. Gross economy. That's not the only thing growing. Gross, dude. Is this ad over yet? Uh, right now, Jack. So I am joined by Aaron Rabinowitz of the Embrace the Void pod and Philosophers in Space. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me on. I wanted to talk to you, if we can, about these um, articles that have come out in The Skeptic Magazine. I know you're a, you're a contributor to The Skeptic Magazine. I wanted to talk to you about uh, a couple of articles that you just recently dropped about uh, anti-Semitism. And so uh, I wanted to talk specifically about the article. Let's let's start with the article about uh, the brand new Ancient Aliens-like show that is on Netflix. So tell me first, what is that show? <laughs> yeah. So this came out last year. This is Graham Hancock, which is you either have like... There's a small group of people who know that this individual uh, exists. Um, there are people who've like watched Ancient Aliens, or there's a, some group of people who've like read his first book because it got a little bit popular. Um, but basically, like he's a diet kind of David Icke, essentially. Um, he is a he identifies as a journalist. Um, some would describe him as a pseudo archaeologist or conspiracy theorist. I think those are all accurate. Uh, the latter two. You know, he basically follows around behind currently existing conspiracy theories and pseudoscience and rehashes it um, in these books that are just like really difficultly incomprehensible to try to follow, not because they're 
too complicated, but because they're just badly written. Yeah. In yeah. my opinion. Yeah. David Icke was like that. When we read David, when Tom and I read David Icke, it was literally incomprehensible. And it's because it's badly written and it doesn't make sense. Not because he's a genius. He's not hiding. Right. Yeah. Right. It's brain numbingly incoherent. Um, yeah. And in that article, you know, I linked to at least one breakdown of one of his books that does a really good job of describing like he just doesn't understand the structure of a non-fictional book. Like he doesn't understand the concept of a thesis statement and a series of arguments <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> right. You right. know, like yeah. didn't learn the five paragraph essay kind of yeah. vibe. Um, but the show is called Ancient Apocalypse. Okay. Um, it's different. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's totally different except it's totally not. different. Yeah. It's really the same. Does he have really um, big hair? Does he have big he hair? He does not. And, do and the... that's the reason you don't know who he is. Okay. That's yeah, literally okay. the difference between him and the guy on Ancient Aliens. He's not memeable. He's not memeable. Is that it? Yeah. He's very bland white dude. Um, yeah. So he's very, he's weirdly popular. And the reason he's popular is because of Joe Rogan, of course, oh, who God. just brings us all of the worst conspiracisms in the world today, apparently. And the reason they're close is because they're both big into like ayahuasca and psychedelic, you know, kind of stuff. So, you know, Graham shows Hold up. Yep. You use the term mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that mm -hmm. a, a psychedelic of some kind? Ayahuasca? Oh, yeah. Ayahuasca is a specific kind of psychedelic. <laughs> it's a, I think it's a root is the main source of the plant that is used. And you mash it up into like a tea sort of situation. And you drink it. And I believe that the, the name means the purger because usually you throw up afterwards. Oh, and God. then you like hallucinate really hard. Um, so that's, cool. you know... A popular one alongside DMT amongst yeah. the kind of psychonauts, sure. Sure, the explorers yeah, 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 of the mind, yeah. as it were, yeah. um, as well as the recreational types. Um, it's not as recreational because, again, it's not as much fun if you have to throw up in all that. <laughs> I think. I think that's probably yeah. why it doesn't. You don't right. see a lot of weekend ayahuasca as much as like weekend mushrooms. I feel like once you're thrown up, it's more a job. Like, it's more yeah. a thing that you're just doing now. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know what? This is a task I need to complete. Once you start really throwing up. Anyway. Ayahuasca so, is really, yeah, it's a ritual. It's effort. Um, right. Yeah. So ancient, ancient apocalypse. Um, and again, it's so hard not to say the words ancient aliens because we're right. all just there. We're hardwired. You want to say it, yeah. And, and Graham was on ancient aliens from the beginning. Um, I quote him in like episode two in the article. So he is one of these ancient aliens people. Now, he will say he doesn't believe believe in aliens. And that's a hide your power level kind of move, which is to say, you know, pretend you don't believe in something that you really believe in when you're trying to act normal for normies. Um, <laughs> because he believes in aliens. He just believes in interdimensional aliens. So he believes in DMT contacted, you know, machine elves, uh, to use um, one of the classic uh, phrases for these kinds of creatures. Um, he... Yeah, he's sort of following in these high weirdness tradition of thinking that like ancient shamans were communicating with interdimensional beings when they were going on these ritualistic kind of trips. So, you know, he'll poo-poo the like, oh, you wouldn't go across the galaxy, but you would come between dimensions using drugs, obviously. Um, <laughs> but none of that none of that comes up in, in ancient apocalypse because this yeah. is very much a like normie facing an entry point. You know, uh -huh. I think when yeah, you when you yeah. When you think about conspiracism as a project, um, and, and like I think it's fair, like you can debate grifter versus not. I think it's fair to say that he is engaged in a specific 
project that you see him doing over and over again in every one of his books and content, which is, again, taking, you know, Atlantis or Ancient Aliens or, you know, whatever, and just like rehashing it with his own slight but not really serious twist. Sure. So, you know... He is primarily, in this case, known for this ancient apocalypse theory where he believes there were these super advanced ancient human civilizations and they were all wiped out by like a meteor, you know, in a, yeah. in a like pre-Ice Age time. And like we've forgotten about them and people are covering up that they existed and all that sort of thing. And that's the like tip of the, the like conspiracism iceberg, like the bullshit iceberg, um, right? And underneath there's a giant like well of bullshit that of course yeah. goes all the way down to those nice anti-Semitic roots. And it's all linked. What's interesting, you know, like, like Tom and I wrote a book specifically talking about how linked and inextricably linked all of these things are together. Right. And how a lot of these different entry points do seem innocuous, but they aren't. And they always lead to this other stuff. They always lead to this deeper stuff. So let's talk a little bit about the anti-Semitism that comes up here. Yeah. And, you know, we joke like Marsh and I and some of the skeptic folks, we joke about like we've hit a salient, like a, like a, I'm a skeptic a too, by the way. I just want to say like, you can joke oh, with yeah. me about skeptic oh, stuff because no, no. I'm, I'm as good. I, I'm, as, I'm as easily as skeptic of the year as Marsh is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I like to yeah. shout them out because those poor bastards are the ones who have to read all of my anti-Semitic <laughs> rants. <laughs> Where they have to like yeah, experience. Right. They, yeah, they're contractually obligated to read it. Yeah. Well, and they're like, you know, your goal here is 1,400 words. And I'm like, okay, but how about 4,000 words? <laughs> you know? And Alice, like, yeah. it could be shorter. I'm like, could it though? Yeah. And like, it is a problem. Like, we want to do a, a, an article almost on like, the problem is to explain any one thing in this area, I have to explain a web of like 10 things to you. Sure. You know, it's sure. like very, like, um, yeah. Parks and Rec, like, I don't have time to explain to you how how wrong you are. Oh, no, wait, I do. Here's, here's like, 10 things. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me lay it all out for you. Um, so, like, anyone watching Ancient Apocalypse, A, might not even realize that it's about ancient aliens because they never mentioned the aliens. Um, B, won't know, probably, that ancient alien cons um, conspiracism and pseudoscience is directly tied both historically and in the present to anti-Semitic conspiracism and other kinds of racist, horrible bullshit beliefs. Um, you know, and so they'll, they'll, like, start there and then they'll get sort of sucked further and further in. And it's weird... You know, it's not weird. It's, it's uh, the explanation we've come up with is the kind of like uh, reverse Godwin's law. So, you're, for your non internet, uh, terminally online folks, Godwin's law is the famous rule that yeah, the Nazi on the internet, thing, right? right? On a long enough timeline, any debate on the internet, the odds that like someone's going to be called a Nazi approaches 100%. Yeah. Right. Um, so, the reverse Godwin's law is any conspiracism or conspiracy theorist, you can sort of fiddle with how you wouldn't want to say it, but like on a long enough timeline, any conspiracy theory tends towards anti-Semitism um, because, <laughs> and there's a couple of reasons for this, I think. Um, I would argue some of the earliest and most persistent conspiracy theories are about Jews. Um, that's one yeah. reason. And yeah. they sort of, in that sense, are the early adopters of being scapegoated and so have yeah. an early adopter advantage. And so, you know, so the, the primary examples there are um, classically blood libel where, you know, we steal uh, Gentile children and usually use them in some sort of weird cannibalistic ritual sure. um, where, we, where we use parts of them for food um, because we have weird food. And so, of course, you know, children's blood has to go into it. It's the only way you can explain matzo ball soup. Sure, yeah. Um, 
And then <laughs> even before that, though, you have the Christ killer myth, um, which is one of the earliest anti-Semitic kind of conspiracy theories where literally the Jews conspired with Rome to kill Jesus. And we're blamed for it and we're viewed as sort of evil and conniving. Um, other reasons behind this, no joke, are the race realists who believe that Jews are smarter than everybody else. I don't know if you're familiar with this idea. Yeah, that- I've, I've, I think that there's, but there's also a weird line because there's a lot of people who both think that the that the Jews are in charge, very smart, but then also um, evil. Yeah, well, not just evil, but like uh, there was a word that they used to use. Conniving uh, might be in, what you're thinking of. No, uh, <laughs> uh, degenerate. Oh yeah, we're super you know degenerate. I mean? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so there's a there's they they think that that not only do they have all of the advantages, but they're also lesser. Yeah, so if you think about it in eugenics terms, as I often do, um, the Jews are degenerate in their intelligence in that we are not, we don't have like the pure Aryan intelligence to be, you know, understand goodness and art and ethics. But we, what we have is cunning, a kind of animal cunning. I see, I see, okay. We're very clever about lying and doing mischievous kinds of things. So we're smart in that way. Um, so you're right that like they are still degenerate in that sense. But yeah, so, you know, there's those beliefs. Um, so whenever someone is like Jews are smarter, I'm, you know, you cringe because like on the other end of that is like, that's why Jews control blacks yeah. and other minorities Media and use them. And right. And we use everyone else's weapons against the white people. And, yeah. Right. Right. So there's also the banker thing, which is an interesting historic artifact of Jews being prevented from owning land. And so essentially, and also because of usury, weirdly enough, um, the rules about usury in Christianity for a long time made it such that Jews were the people who would charge interest and so would be willing to do money lending. Um, And so they ended up in those positions to a disproportionate degree. Um, So all of that, you know, kind of comes together and then you get the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is used to explain things like the French Revolution, um, but becomes popular. And, and like there's several periods in which it, it like reemerges as a very popular text. Um, uh, Ford, for example, are the yeah. inventor of the Model T yeah. also horrible anti-Semite. Yeah. anti-Semite. Horrible anti-Semite, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Bill Cooper's another one who repopularized it in a book called um uh Behold a Pale Horse. Um, so, you know, you have that text. And so basically what happens is, the way I thought of it in this uh, the article I wrote about, like, sort of, be- you know, beware conspiratorial thinking. And, and we can talk about, like, there's some problems with how people talk about conspiracism. I don't want to overly pathologize it, but I do want to pathologize it in the sense that I think it is harmful. Um, what I basically said there is, if you really start to buy into the core idea that there is a evil group of people with a lot of power who are controlling things to a large degree, A, you open yourself up to a conspiracism spiral, and at the bottom of that spiral, just be, by by sheer dint of early adopter status, is Jews. Like, it's always <laughs> just Jews. Even if it's not Jews, it's still Jews. Um, one of my one of the scariest things I read in the Buffalo shooter, I don't know if you remember, this is like 10 or 20 shooters ago, but there was somebody who shot up, you know, <laughs> uh, a place in Buffalo. Yeah, I do remember this guy. Yeah. 
he, you know, he published a very like 4chan copy paste manifesto. It was a supermarket, right? It was like a, a black owned yep. supermarket or something like yeah, that. Specifically yeah. a black owned supermarket. Yeah. He posted a very racist manifesto and everybody pointed to some of the parts that I think were openly like really scary, but they missed something that I thought was the worst part, which was where he says, Jews is not like a race in the sense of the like old way. Jews is like a way of being or a way of thinking. So like any super rich person who uses their power to control everybody is a Jew in their, in this sense. So mm-hmm. like Elon Musk could be a Jew if he's using his powers to like control people in a globalist way or whatever. Um, and that's that's particularly bad because it just means that now the word Jew is just literally synonymous with evil conspirator on large scale. And, yeah, you know, yeah. then you're just stuck with that forever. And so, and so in a way, like, like help me get there. So this show mm-hmm. is, is saying that there is someone who knows the truth and they are trying to hide it from other people. And that's what this so-called journalist or um, you call them an, uh, some kind of archaeologist. That's what he's uncovering. Pseudo archaeologist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he lays this out from the first moments of the first episode. So anybody who doesn't want to watch it but wants to be, you know, make sure I'm not lying about all of this, like his opening monologue is very much, I'm going to reveal secrets to you that have, you know, for some reason that I won't say, I archaeologists see. refuse to explore and it sure, sure seems like they're covering or not taking it seriously, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Feels he never like, explicitly it feels says like- why. It feels like psychedelics democratize mm-hmm. that inf- information for everyone, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if it's real and these psychedelics are your keys to the other universe, you know, it's hard for people to 100% control stuff that you could just grow in, like, your backyard and shit. Like, I don't, I mean, I... Yeah, you end up with some weird gatekeeping, like, in religion, where, you you know, it's revealed knowledge that's only, in, you know, phenomenally yeah, internal. Yeah, I see. So, I like, see. everybody can claim that they've, you know, met the machine elves, but that doesn't mean that you actually <laughs> have. And then, you you know, just start developing, yeah. you know, systems to check who's actually right. hung out with the machine right. elves. And uh, I did not invent that term, I swear. Go Google it. Um, this is all high weirdness. And that's a great, there's a great book called High Weirdness that explains how psychedelics and conspiracism arise, not, not, not arise, but in the modern world, in America in particular, are fundamentally intertwined in a way that leads to Joe Rogan, but also July 6th, but also, you know, yeah. so many of the strands. Um, I've got an, an Embrace of White episode that's going to come out a little bit with the author where we talk about all of this stuff and how it all ties together. Um, so, right, so the question is, how do we get down to the Jews, right? Um, and there are a couple of ways you can get there from the ancient blank, fill-in-your-blank perspective. Um, you know, the classic version of Ancient Aliens is tied to early 1900s eugenics stuff. So people like Atlantis believers, um, Blavatsky, these uh, sort of theosophist types, these are all just like, you know, mystical groups in like the 18-1900s kind of stuff. Um, they are in the period where everybody is dealing with you know, evolution gaining prominence as a concept. They're also dealing with colonialism being dominant and a lot of interaction with a bunch of different races. And so there's an attempt to explain where did all these people come from um, in a way that comports with the Bible, ideally. Um, And what you end up getting are you getting some of these stories about like, Atlantis is a real place and we know that because all of these cultures talk about flood myths, et cetera, et cetera, all the basic stuff that everyone's probably familiar with at this point. Um, But... 
Atlantis is racially something, and there are a bunch of ways this goes. It could be Atlantis is the true Aryan race, and there was another yeah, race of, yeah. at that period, and they were the Jews, and they caused the apocalypse that destroyed Atlantis because they were jealous of their blah, 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 right? Or, you know, there were multiple races in Atlantis, and they fought, and all of this goes along with eugenics and dysgenics stuff because the belief is the Atlantean race was the pure... Aryan whatever super race but because of interbreeding we are now all fallen and so we're not Atlanteans in that sense um, but if we were to gain the secret knowledge that they possessed we could reacquire and it becomes a very fascist naturalism and like I'm not just calling it fascist the Nazis were obsessed with this concept they literally built a place called Atlantis House where they Did studied they really? Oh, fuck yeah, they did. You can go see it. It's in, wow. it's still there. It's got some pretty cool architecture. Um, and they built, you know, you're probably familiar with Is it like Bioshock? That, like, is it like? <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's fucking Bioshock. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It really is Bioshock in every way. They wow. believe, you know, probably people probably know that like the SS Goebbels, some of the, like some of these guys, um, they believed that there were all of these mystical connections to Arianism because they were mythicists. They were, yeah, you know, they yeah. believed in, fa you know, fantastical prehistory in this kind of sense. And so they took trips to Tibet to look for, air, you know, the Akashic knowledge and stuff like that. And they took, you know, trips trying to find what they called Ultima Thule, which was basically Atlantis, a kind of pre-super civilization in this way. Um, so they really believed that there was a life and death struggle over, you know, good versus evil between an ancient, ancient, ancient race of Jews and an ancient, ancient race of uh, Aryans. Yeah. Um, but even if you didn't buy that, you probably, you know, a lot of people believed you know, we all are, um, that the races devolved from one superior race. Or the other views that come up a lot are aliens showed up, there were black people, they did experiments on them and created uplifted white people. Oh. Yeah, that one comes up wow. a lot. Or if you're a hotep, it's the opposite. White people were the crappy apes and black people were like superior and the aliens either, you know, screwed over the white, the black people by, yeah. you know, like it gets really weird. It, comes, it turns into like melanin becomes like Jedi powers. It's, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's always Jews. Either the Jews are coming from space or the Jews were here and they are the evil race that, and this is where, you know, and I think it's important to understand how this ties to religion. This is all about just world theory, in my opinion. Like, people want to believe we live in a just universe, and we can't explain why we don't. And the answer is a super powerful conspiracy full of Jews. Um, and, and like, I'm not just pasting Graham with this. He wrote a book, which I write about, write about in the article, and I cite the end of it where, you know, it's called like the master key or something. And he basically says the Zionist conspiracy idea is basically true. And he like, you know, hedges in various ways that people often do. The same way that David Icke says the protocols are true, but they're not literally about the Jews or Bill, you know, Bill Cooper says that as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, the book is like, there are some Jews out there doing some Jewy yeah, stuff that's like the right. reason that it's controlling everything. Yeah, um, yeah. I should also mention, he believed, as far as we can tell, that... He bought into the, like, Martian uh, civilization, but not alien Martians. He believed the advanced humans built monuments on Mars that we can now see, even though we don't know how they built them. That's his theory of... Did he steal that from Hoagland? 
Yes. He stole okay. it very directly from Hoagland. Yeah. And then, and like, that's what I mean. Literally all of his things are like a slight copy paste or a copy yeah. of a copy of a copy. He's yeah. Von Dannigan without any of the interesting parts. It's crazy you know? that you can't like think up your own weird conspiracy theory. Like they always right? have to like use the other people as a scaffolding. And you're just like, they're I think all of, like, dumb. Three a day. And <laughs> you could easily think up another dumb thing. It's not like dumb yep. things are unique, but they really do right. climb on each other. Yep. Um... Yeah, and then maybe there's something too, like, for a lot of these folks, like, that this is a kind of creative game for them, but they're not all that creative, potentially, yeah. or something like that. Or, like, well, it's it, just, it's a very functional business model, you know? It's, the, it's the, the version of, like... Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's the um, the fake movie knockoffs, right? Uh, Planet yeah. Dune or something like that, yeah. right? Where it's like, enough people will read this instead of Von Dannigan. If you like this podcast, you might like this podcast. And so, yeah, right. it's easy. I mean, like, it's easy to, like, right. work off of that. And so, if they already know they have an audience, a captive audience for Hoagland's garbage, then they might just, you know, create a something very similar to Hoagland's garbage and then feed it to other people that are that are willing to take it. Yeah, and like, you know, he has his brand, which is the ancient apocalypse part of this, where it's like the super civilization, which is not a new idea, but like tying it to the specific meteor event thing is, I think, I don't want to say it's totally novel to him. I think there are other people who've done it, but like that's sort of his um, center point, the hub of his, you know, and, and like all of his books are essentially take some other person's conspiracy and tie it back to that idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is not unusual. Like, a lot of folks do that kind of brand, you know, like, absorption, amalgamation kind of thing. Aaron, you wrote another article about uh, about anti-Semitic, uh, not using anti-Semitic attacks when you're talking about a group uh, that is funding anti-vaccination. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and this came out of, I, for some reason, well, like many of my articles, they start with a dare, usually from Marsh. Yeah. And this one involved this him sending the, me, I uh, think. This was the anti-vax thing you went to, yeah, right? Yeah, this was the yeah. Bath anti-vax well, conference, which I think we attended, talked about previously. Attended virtually. Virtually, yeah. right. Clearly not physically because of the, you know, anti-vax And you watched part. it in like two times speed. You didn't just watch it in like regular speed, right? True, but I watched it twice in two times speed. Okay, so that's so that's, kind of like watching it once in That is kind of like watching it once in, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So what happened was, yeah, I watched this and wrote a bunch of these articles. This was one of, this was the last one. And I, you know, felt like I had to talk about the anti-Semitic angle because again, it's my brand and I have to tie everything back to the Jews. That's how- Of course, yes. How brand management works. Yeah, I get it. Everyone's paying attention, I hope. Uh, And Jews are better (laughs) at brand management. So obviously I have to be superior at this. It's because you're cunning. That's why. I'm very, you know, intuitive (laughs) about tying my conspiracies together. Um, So- in the process of learning about stuff, I was not I was not very, very familiar with anti-vaxxer stuff before doing that conference activity. I knew, you know, Wakefield, et cetera. I didn't know sure, Del Bigtree, big for example, yeah. right? Or how he was connected to Wakefield. And I didn't know that Del Bigtree is the sort of, was the, fi- or one of the major financial center points for the anti-vaxxer movement. And a lot of that money was coming from a family, a couple of Jewish billionaires, literally like a a married couple of Jewish billionaires, Uh, which is an interesting, presents an interesting conundrum, right? Because it's like, how do you explain that Jewish billionaires are somewhat secretively funding anti-vaxxer conspiracism, you know, without doing an anti-Semitism? 
Uh, yeah, no, that's true. But I also want to say, though, that there is a brand of anti-vaxxer that runs through the Orthodox community pretty strongly. There's a, right. you know, there's Orthodox, Orthodox Jews sometimes are very big hotspots for very, very uh, easily preventable diseases because they don't vaccinate. Right. And that is both true. And I think brings up the central, you know, message of this article, which is it's okay to talk about this as long as you avoid anything that is giving the impression that Jews are special. Right. You don't no, yeah, want absolutely. to say yeah, that. Because the same thing happens right. in an Amish community. You know exactly. I mean? yeah. Right. So yeah. in the article, I point out, yes, there are higher rates among Hasidic, you know, ultra Orthodox, actually, very specific sort of subset yeah. of Hasidic Jews. Sure. Uh, there are also higher rates amongst ultra-Orthodox Catholics and things like that as well. Yeah. So, um, and, and the reason, again, in my opinion, is there is a link between religious worldviews and yes. conspiracism, partly because most religions involve a conspiratorial belief in an evil devil. Right. Who I, I would argue is the greatest conspiracy of all, and it's why Alex Jones is obsessed with the devil, is because he knows where the big bad really is. Um, and it primes people to think about the world in those kind of ways and imagine that there could be a force that was supporting the Jews in their, you know, whatever kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, the so, so when you talk about those groups, right, you want to say it's not unique to the Jews. And similarly, when you talk about these billionaires, you want to say, look, it's not it's not because they're Jews that they're causing this harm. In fact, most people would have assumed quite the opposite that like. It's weird in this situation that you don't have to deflect anti-Semitic claims because anti-Semites aren't going to rush forward and claim that the Jews would be preventing people, would want to be preventing the vaccine because most of them believe the vaccine is a, is a hoax or something like that a lot of the time, right? And as you point out, they're largely speaking to their own community at a lot of the time. They're talking to the, the you know, ultra-Orthodox themselves. And so if they're causing harm, they're just causing harm to Jews, it seems like, um, which doesn't, you know, provo provoke the same fear as, like, the Jews are infecting all of us with their, you know, kosher vaccines or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. In the, in the article, you talk a little bit about Kanye West, uh, mm -hmm. You talk about him being reinstated to Twitter and then immediately, well, not immediately, but relatively quickly afterwards being banned again. And he was banned because he posted a Nazi symbol of some sort. And I'm, I'm, I wasn't sure, but I don't really know exactly what he posted. Definitely not, but yes. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, but so I'll it, clarify that but, for uh, you. For but sure. I'll clarify it in a second. But in the article, you you wind up saying that his banning might actually contribute more to anti-Semitism. How does that work? Can you explain his banning and then how that might actually contribute to anti-Semitism? Yeah, and so, you know, this was something that I, I talked about back on a Rebel Wisdom debate a while back related to Monster Island, which I, I talked with y'all about way, way yeah, back when. Yeah. You know, I did a content moderation debate when Elon was first, you know, making noise about buying Twitter before he pretended not to for a while and then bought it. And like one of the things I, I really suggested strongly was if he's going to do this, do not let a bunch of people back on Twitter who got banned because you will play exactly this game of they will come back and do the exact same behavior that sure. they had to get banned for and you'll be pressured to ban them again. And all that will do is just like further elevate their position, further draw attention to their being, you know, 
canceled in this kind of way, allow them to go on a, you know, speaking tour with Nick Fuentes and talk about anti-Semitic stuff. And like, um, you know, I mentioned the uh, Hotep article to you before, which the Hoteps get their stuff from Bill Cooper. So a lot of this is like, poor and like they say they say themselves you know uh, a lot of hoteps are kind of born in jail cells and this is kind of a view where black people reclaim their power by believing that they are actually the descendants of a superior race out of Egypt kind of stuff um and that's where people like Kanye are getting their philosophy from so in a sense it is kind of repackaged conservatism sold to people who feel like they are woke you know on the left quote unquote um and so he didn't actually post a anti-Semitic um, image. What he actually posted was, do you know the Raelians? I do know the Raelians, yes. So the Raelians are a weird alien cult. Um, yeah. And they are not anti-Semitic, but their symbol involves a swastika. Um, and it's a situation where it ties back to the Hindu use of it before, yeah, right, right. which also ties to the Nazi use of it because of the weird conspiracy that I mentioned earlier about sure. Tibet and Aryans and stuff. So anyway, uh, shared ancestor in that sense, but it's not technically a Nazi meme, but he got rebanned for it under anti-Semitic rule, which is a problem because it wasn't anti-Semitic. So now he's been rebanned for something that he didn't actually do, which I gives see. a bunch of people a justification to complain even further. And Elon looks fickle and useless. And it reiterates that like content moderation is actually painfully complicated and everyone is going to be miserable no matter what you do about it, but you have to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so is the goal with content moderation to make a group of mm -hmm. people less, like smallest group of people less miserable? Is that what it is? Or to make the smallest, the, the largest group of people happy with what happened? So I think the goal of content moderation is harm prevention and harm reduction. I like see. Your, your goal is to, con, you know, contain the spread of these kinds of ideas. I see. And there's evidence that it does contain it. It doesn't prevent it. Um, right. And to some extent, you do get some, not, uh, not blowback in the um, not reproduced psychological sense, but you get hardening within yeah. the core community where they feel, you know, in the bunker in that kind of way and they get that yeah. bunker mentality. Um, and that's not ideal. And so what you really need to do is preventative measures that don't require that sort of after yeah. the fact um, content moderation. Um, but you what you definitely don't want to do is like be a ridiculous ad hoc, you know, moderator that you, doesn't, you know, manage what, its own rules well. What do you think about Vox Populi moderation. What about that? So if I go to like decide, say Trump were to come back on, if a popular vote lets him back on, I should let him on, right? A popular vote of whom? Like when Elon Musk set up a poll to decide whether or not Trump was going to be let back on the system. Yep, and then he did, and then Trump hasn't come back yet, but he will well, soon. Trump was Trump's not coming back. Oh, he's coming back. You um, think? Yeah. Yo, let's bet. Let's bet. Come on, let's bet. I don't think he's okay. coming back. And the reason why I don't think he's coming back is because he's got a whole other thing. He's got a whole other other parlor I think or whatever it is or truths or if, something. If and when he can work out the financials so that he doesn't violate or breach his contract with truth, he will be back on Twitter, okay. in my opinion. All right. Anyway. Um, and we can we can bet and you know we can bet that like you, sure. have, to, you have me back on I'll the bet you, I'll bet you, uh, hour. Uh, I'll bet <laughs> you a uh, an Italian beef combo in Chicago uh, oh, if it happens okay. and then you could give me like a slice of 
Newark Pizza or whatever it is. I don't know. Oh, is not Latkes. Or yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna give you access for like ten minutes to the Juice Space Laser. Um, oh, but if you want to, if you just want man. a pizza, that's easy. That's, <laughs> is that worse than Italian beef? I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I'm I assume I'm it's a pretty good Italian beef, right? <laughs> You're not getting like a shitty Italian beef. No, are you? you get a good one. You get a good one. You get one okay. from downtown. Because sure. I'm Jewish, I, I will. Yeah. I will have preference. I won't. Yeah. I want like yeah. a good and Italian you'll know, beef. You'll know a good one for, for versus a bad one for yeah. sure. Okay. So right. okay. So so uh, seriously though, let's let's take a yeah. short detour into into Twitter now. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. <laughs> let's take a short detour into Twitter because I am curious. I know you were a. I think self-professed Twitter addict for a while. You would spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, your mm-hmm. feed on Twitter for uh, f- for embrace the void. I think it, it's is that's like that's the one that you use the most, right? Is the sure. embrace the yeah, void? Yeah, pretty much exclusively. And, yeah. And that one is is constantly has things happening on it. And I know that you've dunked on a lot of people in the past uh, through that. Uh, through that Twitter handle. So, what is your experience pre Musk, post Musk Twitter? Yeah, it definitely feels like it's gotten worse. And I'll, I'll fully acknowledge that, like, I can't prove that it's not just, you know, bias or whatever. Um, but my experience has been, like, A, basic functionality feels like it's been inconsistent or gone down at, in various ways. But also, um, my feed feels like it's no longer full of people that I know and want to yeah. pay attention to. And is increasingly full of anti-trans and anti-vax. And, That's what I'm getting and, too. And not in the way that I normally have, where I choose that in like to a reasonable degree kind of situation. Like it's the kind of thing where even in my weird bubble of what I do for a living, like I still feel like it's gone up in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like I think the reason is there was throttling on those accounts. And we know that from the, you know, conspiracy sure. documents that were released, um, which I think actually just proved that like Twitter was doing its job properly. Yeah, they were um, just content moderating, yeah. Right. And like, it's creepy that they have to do that, but like, there's just no other way around it as far as I can tell. Um, yeah. Also, you know, it proved to oversight. me that a lot of people wanted to see Hunter Biden's dick. Those documents, I think, really just proved to me that everybody just wanted to see Hunter Biden's cock. One of the greatest mysteries of my life is the conspiracy by the Republican right wing to desperately make me want to either be or have sex with Hunter Biden. <laughs> Or both. <laughs> or I don't both. know. Yeah, I don't In the know. virtual, yeah. you know, Admittedly, if you're Hunter Biden, you could have sex stuff. with yourself and that would be a whole thing for them. I, I have noticed what you say because mm-hmm. recently I've been going on Twitter if I go on there to check my mentions and then I'll flip to the feed and it's just trash. It is just awful people saying terrible shit. I saw a video the other day I didn't even want to see. It was a guy get shot in the head. And I was just right. like, why is this just on my, why do I have like a like, thing that I can't hide? It's not a not safe for work. Like even Reddit, which is a cesspit, sometimes has a thing that's like a fuzzy image or whatever. So you sure. can't actually see it. This is literally just playing right in my feed. There's a guy who's going to get shot in the head. It's a t- it's it, it turned into a cesspit. The other problem that I'm running into is before there used to be something to, a verified account. I would see a verified account 
And I would see it and I would say, oh, well, this person got verified. So something happened in the past to make that person notable enough to be verified. Once in a while, you would run across a person with, you know, maybe a thousand followers or something, but they would be like a journalist for a large uh, paper or a news agency. And they would have a personal account that would have very few people, but they would be posting to other accounts with like massive followers, but they would have like only a few. Now I'm, I'm clicking on the mentions and they're all up at the top. They're the worst comments ever. And it's because the people have like seven followers, 15 followers, and they bought their blue check mark and they're, they're, they're absolute idiots. And I, I literally, I don't even check anymore. Now I'm like, I won't even look at the mentions anymore. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge problem. Like the, the concrete, I know it's not bias. It's just terrible is the way he has ruined verification. I'm not yeah. saying verification was perfect before. No. Obviously nothing is perfect, but what he's done is made it useless. Yeah. And not only useless, he's made it a useless cash crab by like the worst sycophants I've ever seen. Oh, And it's, terrible it's really really and like so yeah i i used to be really big on there and i used to honestly defend twitter as a useful place like it was full of terrible things but it was also a place where i met lots of wonderful people it's where i got a lot of my embrace the void guests and i'm very happy to have met most of them um most of them and i um you know, at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to really be there much anymore. Part of it is that like, I have a bunch of other things that are, are more interesting to me that I would rather be doing at the moment. Sure. So it's like, I have stuff to pull me away from it. And the pandemic certainly probably exacerbated the problem yeah, initially. I and imagine. it's coming down off of that as you're sort of reengaging with the world. But it is also that it's just like, it's a, a less useful place to be, you know, yeah. um, other than some DMs with some people, it's not really um, there for me anymore. Um, Facebook, I only use for groups. Um, and that's yeah. pretty much my social media at this point. There's no like wide, you know, wide band social media content to me anymore. Uh, when I, when I started talking to you about coming on today, uh, I, I, you know, we talked about maybe going over some of your articles for the skeptic, but while we were talking, you sent me, uh, an abstract for a paper. I think you're writing now. Is that it? Is that you're writing a paper now on com- on compassionate skepticism? Uh, is mm-hmm. where is this paper going to be when it's finally done? Uh, I don't know necessarily. I submitted it to one conspiracism conference. Um, I haven't. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. So I don't want to like uh, say anything about oh. that yet. Okay. And All if, right. you know, Sorry. If, if that doesn't happen, it would, you know could go to a journal. Sorry. Who knows? Sorry. No, it's, okay. it's totally fine. We can we can just say generally speaking it's sort of part of a larger project that like you as a skeptic would certainly are already a part of, I think. Um, So I won't just say me and Marsh and the other people and Alice and all of them. Um, But like, you know, I think y'all have to some extent moved away from some of the dunking content towards a little bit more of a like somewhat compassionate approach. Um, And we, you know, like at the UK Skeptic, the tagline is reason with compassion. And I really, you know, believe strongly that people who have conspiratorial beliefs are, are suffering from bad epistemic luck. Sure. You know, that like you or I, if we had been in the wrong situation, could have been James Lindsay. You know, yeah. like it's just, it's just dumb luck that you didn't end up in that situation. Or, you know, in a crisis in a moment where somebody took advantage of you by selling you on alien reptiles or something. Um, and so, you know, I, I've always sort of been like, like, you know, while I've been doing conspiracies, I've been pushing for this compassionate approach. But 
um, this particular article, I'm arguing that it needs to be a kind of universal compassion, which is going to, this is where it's going to get a little controversial for folks. Yeah. Uh, so it's, because, it's not yeah. just, it's not just being compassionate to victims, people who've been hurt by this. You're saying be compassionate to people who might be out there propagating these conspiracies. Right. And there's a couple of terms for folks like this. Uh, one popular one is conspiracism entrepreneurs or conspiracy entrepreneurs. I think that overemphasizes the kind of financial benefit of this. A lot of folks, I think, do these things not for money, but for the sense of power or the pleasure of being paid attention to. There's lots of benefits to mongering conspiracism, let's say. Um, so I, you know, I call those conspiracism profiteers. And and what I see a lot, even amongst conspiracy compassionate conspiracism folks these you know debunkers these days is no punching down at the rank and file who believe these things they're they're poor unfortunate yeah. souls um but you can punch at Alex Jones all you want or Tucker Carlson or Donald Trump or something like that that like these are people who know we would say that they're doing something wrong and are profiting off of it and therefore they are justified targets of abuse um and I don't think that's true I think that you can't make a hard line distinction or any real substantial distinction between conspiracism profiteers and conspiracism victims. I think they're all conspiracism victims and they're all conspiracism profiteers um, and there's just varying degrees of what they're profiting on and what, you know, what amount they're selling things essentially. Um, but uh, what this I think means is that we really do have to be compassionate even to the Alex Joneses of the world, not because they're not doing something wrong. And it doesn't mean that we don't take them off the air, right? That all that stuff I said about content creation hit holds here. We still quarantine people when they're sick. And Alex Jones is deeply, deeply sick. But we don't abuse them. We don't need to abuse them. And it doesn't actually help, I don't think. I don't think there's any real solid evidence that making fun of Alex Jones substantially helps even victims. Um, there's some people who will claim that, like, if you do that, you know, you can deter other people from believing those folks. But if you don't know whether the person you're talking to is already sympathetic to Alex Jones or not, the risk that you're going to attack him and they're going to identify with him and take it personally is very high, it seems to me. And so you don't want to take that risk. And, like, you know, just be realistic, right? How many times has someone made fun of you for a belief and that like substantially improved your chances of changing that belief? I don't think it happens. I don't think that's how our psychology works. Like maybe it's part of it, but it's not the it's not the real thing. It's the compassion, the space to change, you know, and then you can recognize that the jokes helped a little bit or something. But what is so mm -hmm. but what what about somebody who you see? is clearly not just profiting, but using those things to specifically harm other people. Like for instance, when we talk about somebody like Donald Trump, he motivated an entire group of people through conspiracy theory to sure. attack the Capitol. This is yep. a, that's a, that's a nefarious deed by a person who was so full of himself that he wanted, he would, he would literally upend the apple cart of the United States the, of America in order to stay in power. That seems like a bad person. That doesn't seem like somebody yes. who I think I should treat with compassion. Why ah, should I? That's the difference. Because I think we should treat bad people with compassion. Okay. Think about it, right? Like No, I, uh, I, I don't I don't disagree. I don't disagree in the broad strokes. And I really do think like I'm I'm for the idea of, you know, 
I think there should be forgiveness, a, ch a chance for people to be forgiven for things that they've done that are bad. But I also recognize that there has to be some movement on their part in order to get there. They can't just be bad and continue to be bad and then me being like, well, I, 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 that's fine. Do you know what I yeah. mean? There has to be some movement on for their sure. part. Yeah, and, and let me be clear, compassion and forgiveness are not the same thing to, in my mind. Right. Okay, all right. right. I don't fair. think that anybody has to forgive Donald Trump, uh, nor do I am I here to tell people who have been harmed by these individuals that they personally have to do the emotional work of expressing compassion. If you want to, you know, say things about Alex Jones because he's hurt you personally, I'm not going to tell you not to. Um, I'm just going to say, you know, I think ultimately healthy, you know, and this is a very restorative justice kind of approach. Sure. No, it's, it's a know, very different approach than what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, I think a healthier one, even for people who are harmed, because it allows you to get closure in a way that is, I, I don't think there's evidence you get closure by seeing the other person suffer. The idea that like victims get closure when they see other people being abused, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say it never, ever happens, but I think it's an overstated reality compared to the alternative, which is what they suggest in restorative justice, which is most victims, when they find out what they really want, is they want the person, A, like you said, to acknowledge that they've done something wrong, and B, to prevent it from happening again, that they just don't want it to happen to other people. So there's less of a desire to see the person suffer and, and just more of a desire to make a system where that doesn't happen again. And that's what I'm totally for. You know, we need to, again, keep Donald Trump off Twitter, right? Keep Donald Trump for running from office. If necessary, put Donald Trump in prison, but not in a prison where people punch him every day, in a prison where he just doesn't hurt people. Because like, I think we're all on the progressive side of things at this point, pretty in favor of a, a criminal justice reform that takes out all of the weird punitive stuff where people are sure. like, it's great that folks are suffering in prison. No, I, I'm with you on that. Right? And it's just that writ large for everybody, even the ones who aren't currently in prison, but are still doing bad things. And we don't stop saying they're doing bad things. We say they're doing bad things because of their bad luck and we have to prevent them from causing harm, but we don't have to make fun of them and we don't have to cause them to suffer or something like that. Do you think that there's like a moment of realization that somebody can go through where they're, they've start to become a grifter, where they stop becoming a victim and they start becoming, they start acting on this to become a grifter? Yeah, there's certainly places where that happens. My guess is, would be, it is rarer than you think and for sure you can't prove it. Um, so if you're trying to decide whether or not someone has to be de-platformed, you don't want to base it on intent because you're going to have a really hard time proving that Alex Jones doesn't genuinely believe what he believes sure. no matter how many times he lies or is inconsistent, right? Because those don't prove he doesn't believe it. He just proves that he's like not consistent. Um, even if you had a text, you know, like a, a message that says, I don't believe the things I'm saying, you know, he could still reasonably just claim that like he was, you know, pressured to say that or something, whatever. So there's no behavior that you can tell for sure that someone doesn't believe the thing they're now claiming to believe. So don't worry about it. Worry about whether they're causing harm with their beliefs and promoting them in something um, like that. But the other thing I would say is most of them believe it, I think. You know, it doesn't matter. But if we're going to ask the question, the answer is it's easier to sell something if you believe in it than if you don't. Sure. And audience capture is a hell of a drug, you know. No, and if you're uh, yeah. one of these people, you know, you get into a feedback loop with your audience where you're like, you know, Jews and they're like Jews and you're like Jews, you know, and you really believe it because a 10,000 people are agreeing with you that it sure. really in fact is the Jews. Yeah. I, I, the thing is, the thing that, the thing that makes me push back on this idea 
is all the people I've seen walk away from religion when someone has sort of made it look silly, right? So like someone has gone out of their way to say, look at how silly religion is. And now I understand the difference, I think, between making a person look silly and making a thing look silly. But I don't know that they're so different that it should be out of line to make Alex Jones' thoughts and actions look silly. Yeah, and this is complicated, right? Um, I do believe there are individuals who do, you know, like mocking someone directly for their beliefs is likely not a good mechanism. No, I, uh, yeah, right. If somebody's already in doubt, for example, you know, mockery could be a scaffolding by which they climb out of the belief and then... You know, maybe they don't need the mockery after that. I think there's a lot to the idea that a lot of new, not in the sense of new atheists in the big end, but in the like newly, you know, egg cracked atheists, a lot of them need mockery kind of content um, because it helps them deal with the abuse they experienced. It helps them feel confident in their own beliefs again and helps them feel better in those kind of ways. But in my experience, a lot of folks mellow into a place of no longer feeling like they need that kind of mockery. I think that's good and the way we want things to kind of work. So, you know, essentially what I'm saying is like, you know, like with the abuse victim where I'm not going to tell them, don't make fun of Alex Jones, you know, the new atheist, I'm not going to tell you, don't make fun of Christianity or whatever. But I'm also going to say like, you know, maybe eventually process beyond that anger and into yeah. a place of compassion and recognize that like the hard problem is you can't make fun of it without someone near you hearing it and believing you're talking about them. You know, it's sort of like if you make fun of fat people or, you know, something like that, your friends see it. And if they're, sure. you know, if they deal with that kind of issue or something, then that they will take that personally and it'll cause harm to them. Um, so, yeah, I do think... Um, there's a problem in the modern world where you can't just speak to one audience, right? You can't have a private conversation with your in-group without the out-group hearing it. And you can't mock someone's leader without their followers finding out about it. So you are trading off cost-benefit there in terms of helping your own community while also closing the door for some people to join that community because they're turned off by the way that atheists are aggressive assholes who dunk on religion all the time. Admittedly, it is a good time, though. I will say it's kind of a good time. All right. Everybody loves dunking, you know? That's, that's <laughs> Gotta love dunking. I don't know that I agree with you, Aaron. I don't know that I agree with you, but I really do respect your opinion. I want to thank you for coming on. Aaron, if people are going to find your podcasts, where would they look? Yeah, you can just Google Jews in control of the universe. <laughs> at, uh, no. Um, you know, if I if we were really in control, my podcast would be a little more popular, right, be, I feel it'd like. Be, be, be at the top of the charts, but... I'm surrounded by a bunch of Gentiles with gigantic followings. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's because y'all are my shock troops. Y'all are out no, in front. True, and true, I'm yeah. just we take, the We take any of the damage, too, that comes in. So we, For we, sure. we absorb that. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. You are my you are my shock absorbers. Uh, yeah, you can find me on, you know, Addy TV Pod on Twitter. You can find Embrace the Void and Philosophers in Space with the wonderful Callie Wright over on any pod app in the universe and the Skeptic Mag, the UK one, not the one with Michael Shermer. Not the one uh, with Michael we, Shermer. We believe in reason with compassion and they do not. You got to tell us when this, if this if this talk of yours, this compassionate uh, sure, skepticism, yeah. if it does wind up at a conference, let me know. I'd like to go there and see you uh, give this talk because I think it's very interesting. While I might, not, be able to go, my, I might not agree with you, I definitely want to see it, so... 
the, the conference is in Amsterdam, which was one of the reasons oh, I submitted for it. The 100% reason why I want to go. So let me yeah. know if it, if it right. does get accepted. Right. Um, and, and say hello to Callie, friend of the show for us. We appreciate you coming on today. Thanks very much. All right, so I want to thank Aaron Rabinowitz for joining me tonight. Aaron does Embrace the Void, and he does Philosophers in Space with Callie Wright, friend of the show. Uh, check it out. Uh, uh, both shows, great shows. Uh, we are patrons, I think, of one of them. I think we're, we're patrons, Cogdis' patrons of Embrace the Void, because it is an excellent show, and he does great interviews, so you, go, you should go check it out. Uh, I want to thank him for joining me tonight and talking about uh, the conspiracies. If you guys want to send Tom some good wishes, you can always do it uh, in the Facebook group that we have. You can always uh, say, get, get get well, Tom, start a thread in there, get well thread. Or you can send him a tweet. I will let him know next week when he shows up. I'll, I'll have him page through the tweets uh, when he shows up next week if he's feeling better. I'm sure that'll make him feel a love. So if you want to send Tom some get well wishes, there's a couple of ways to do it. You, of course, can always send Tom messages through our email, uh, dissonance.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, next time, next week, we will be reading that uh, that extra article. We'll be reading that article and then we'll be covering one full article, long form article next week, but we will not be doing it this week. So don't expect anything extra in your feed this Thursday. Expect it next Thursday. No live stream this month. Thanks to Aaron for joining us. Get well, Tom. Subscribe to Season Liberally. We're going to leave you like we always do with the Skeptic's Creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter mommy issue hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician double bubble toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative acupunctuating pressurized stereogram pyramidal free energy healing water downward spiral brain dead pan sales pitch late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death and towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and information provided on this podcast are intended for entertainment purposes only. All opinions are solely that of Glory Hole Studios, LLC. Cognitive dissonance makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, currentness, suitability, or validity of any information, and will not be liable for any errors, damages, or butthurt arising from consumption. All information is provided on an as-is basis. No refunds. Produced in association with the local Dairy Council and viewers like you.